Breathe on us, breath of God, fill us with life anew, that we may love what thou dost love, and do what thou wouldst do. Amen. In the early 1990s, Delta Airlines started a fantastic fare war. 50% off flights anywhere. For people who love to travel, this was the best deal that anyone had ever seen. You could almost go anywhere for less than $99. It was amazing. So with all the savings, you'd expect this to go incredibly well, right? After all, who doesn't love saving money? Wouldn't this act put everyone in a fantastic mood and make them exceedingly happy? Not exactly. What happened instead was a summer of chaos. I started my career at Delta in 1993, and I observed people who had never flown before showing up with big pieces of furniture, collections of heavy books, loaded guns, tool chests, all sorts of stuff you could not bring onto an airplane. It was nuts. And so with so much success of filling these planes with passengers, the airlines had so many more expenses. Taking care of more people costs a whole lot more money. Since so many people were first-time flyers and they had hiccups in their travel, people lost trust in the airlines. Everything was more difficult. There was no familiarity. There was less trust Costs of handling these passengers was just going through the roof. So what did the airlines do? They decided that they would start cutting down on the free food they served. This was a big deal. They cut the food, and what happened? People complained. All summer long, people complained. I remember this one passenger came up to me when I was boarding a flight and started demanding, I need a better meal. I need a better meal. And I stepped back and looked and said, how may I help you? And, um, and she said, well, I need a better meal. I called and I requested a special meal. I'm on a diet. I wanted a fruit plate. And the flight attendant came around and gave me a big plastic tray and there were just a couple of grapes on it. And you called that a fruit plate? To which my colleague, standing next to me in her very thick Texas accent, said to me, and the customer could hear, tell her to look at the price of the ticket. <laughs> yeah. Chaos. Travel disappointments. Mistrust. Not fun at all. In some ways, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Human beings seem to lose trust in each other, in institutions, and in God. A lot. Look at the story from Exodus. The Israelites are in the desert. They're lost and they're thirsty. If you actually plot out on a map where these people actually went, it took them 40 years to get from one place to another, from point A to point B. It was about the distance from here in downtown Phoenix to the other side of Chandler, maybe Gilbert. Not that far. 
did they have a bad map? No, they didn't have a map at all. But what's important is that we need to look at the rest of the story. Let's revisit how this story goes. The Israelites are liberated from their Egyptian oppressors. They cross the Red Sea. The Egyptians get swept away and destroyed, and off the Israelites go. They're free. And now they go out into the desert, and before long, they don't know left from right, north from south, and they're walking in circles. And they say things like, is the Lord among us or not? Their trust in God is gone. So much infighting. So many complaints. At this point, God has literally given them everything that they were promised. Everything. But they still complain. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And Moses is just a wreck. Okay, God, why are they doing this? The people are about to stone me. The complaints don't end. The whole story, as you read it through over and over, it has all these twists and turns, but soon you realize the fact that it's not about going from here to there. It's not from point A to B. It's not about that. It took 40 years for the people to realize that they could actually trust God. 40 years to trust God. It took 40 years for them to be formed into a community of people who began to realize who God was. And it took them that long to figure out that it wasn't about where they were going. It was about who they were going with. God had a promise for them. They keep seeing signs of this promise everywhere. So why not trust? No wonder why this rings true to us when sometimes it can take 40, 50, 60 years to get to the same point of trusting God in our lives. Even the woman at the well whom we read about, Jesus starts by asking for a drink of water, and then there's this conversation. Jesus starts talking about living water, and the woman begins immediately thinking in her mind, this guy's going to save me time on my chores. I'm not going to have to schlep any more buckets. This guy has promised me more time and convenience. I better pay attention. But she initially perceives Jesus as offering this convenience. But through their dialogue and through their conversation, more of a relationship begins forming. And the woman finds that her interaction with Jesus changes her. She develops a trust of this strange man from a different religion. She trusts Jesus. And she goes on and tells others, he told me everything that I have ever done. 
And later, the people themselves invite Jesus in to stay with him, to stay with them. They invite him in, and they respond that they too have heard with their own ears that this man, Jesus, is truly the Savior of the world. They saw, they immersed their lives in God's promises, they trusted God. In many ways, Jesus sets these villagers, these Samaritan villagers, free from any kind of religious judgment, free of condemnation. He's actually like reconciling this ancient feud and bringing the living, or rather the liberating water of the Red Sea that delivered the people of Israel back to the Samaritans to join them in fellowship and communion with the divine. From that very moment, once again, the people of the Samaritan village trusted God. They trusted that God was out for their greatest good. They stopped judging and complaining and started looking for the actions of God in their lives. And the more they looked, the more they found For these outcasts, the Samaritans, Jesus brought them a new liberation. He brought them God's living water of reconciliation and restoration again. And on that day, the entire crowd recognized that the salvation of the world was right in front of them. So what about us? The chaos that we live in right now, the disappointments in our world in all sorts of ways, and the complaints we hear at work, at school, in our lives from day to day really force us to ask ourselves, do I really trust God? Do I have a better way to look for living water? With, who do I, with whom do I seek reconciliation? Or do we feel like, geez, you know, I'm, I'm just really tired of carrying heavy buckets of water everywhere I go. I'm weighed down. We try so hard in life to get from point A to point B that we end up wandering. Wandering sometimes for decades in search of real meaning for our real selves. The only self that just requires me to be me, a beloved child of God. To be ourselves in light of how we are created, to immerse ourselves in the presence of the holy, in the presence of the living God. But the stories today invite us to trust. To trust that God, God's love means that God desires our greatest good This time and every time. Jesus asks us for a drink so that we, like the woman, will open up the truth of our lives to him. Will you respond to this invitation? Not just for self-improvement or to save time or money on your chores, but will you respond to this invitation so that we can learn to bring Real life, real living in the presence of divine love, real living water as a gift of Jesus to others. We have people everywhere. 
we have people everywhere who are always asking us for water, asking us for life, asking us to offer them some type of God's blessing or some type of love to give them water, yes, but to give them living water, that good stuff from God. All of us have people all around us asking us this all the time because after struggling for 20, 30, even 40, 50, or 60 years, they're still trying to figure out that it's not about where they're going in life, but instead it's about who they're going with along the way. The living water of Jesus is powerful stuff. So offer it. What's there to lose? Trust God. Invite divine love in. You'll never regret it. And if you're thinking, no, I can't do this. No. Mm -mm. I know for a fact that you can. It's an exercise of faith. We do this in many different ways. It's an exercise of faith. It's an exercise of trust. Here's why, here's why you can. I heard this in a certain way from Michael Curry about 15 years ago. But this is my version. We often trust in so many things other than God. We can wander big time literally around the world and put our whole trust and even in our lives on things other than God. Think about this. We can even trust that when we buy a cheap ticket for $99 and get on an airliner from a company that's been in and out of bankruptcy for years with 50,000 very unique individualistic employees to take us on a 25-year-old airplane maintained by vendors in at least half a dozen countries with 200 passengers and crew along with our luggage, our pets, and some cargo taking off with a weight of at least 100,000 pounds, flying at 35,000 feet at a speed of 528 miles per hour from point A to point B in about two hours or less, burning 8,000 gallons of fuel and hitting the ground at the precise location on landing with a weight of 75,000 pounds, delivering your pets, yourself, and your baggage to a new destination safely and on time with a Coke and a smile. <laughs> Honestly, if you can trust Delta Airlines to get you this way from point A to point B, you can most definitely be able to trust God. <laughs> Keep seeing the signs of God's promises. Trust God. Invite divine love in. You'll never regret it.